Father, I, I do thank you for today. Father, I thank you that you allowed us to wake up today to give us one more day to to bring you glory. Father, I, I praise you that you've given us your word that we can know you. You've given us your word that we can know what eternal life is. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that the words that come from my mouth today would be a blessing to those that hear. And Lord, that we would leave here today more in love with you because of the time we spent than when we first got here today. And I pray all this in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. It's interesting. Uh, this ministry, Wellspring, is in its fifth year. Uh, but the disciplines have been around since 2004. Uh, and they've never changed. And I can't foresee a reason why they would ever change. Because for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, it is about how we care for our heart. It's how we prepare ourselves to worship God. Uh, And because of how we care for our our hearts, this needs to impact other areas of of our life. And the next would be the home. Uh, Having been married for almost seven years before becoming a Christian, I I see the drastic effects of a radical uh, salvation that it has to impact the home. The the gospel, God's word, has to make a difference in your home. You, You should live in anticipation and expectation that your time worshiping God in his word and in worshiping God in fellowship in a church will impact your home. And because of the impact on your heart, the impact in your home, the third discipline, the ministry, uh, ladies, I would not want you to minimize your ministry, not just at home, to your husbands, to roommates, uh, to your children. Uh, I would not want you to underestimate your ministry having a cup of coffee with a friend. So, so much ministry happens just in proximity of being with other believers. The message that I'm bringing you today, uh, come, it's classified as D1, the heart, but I hope you will look at it as parallel tracks, how it can intersect each of the disciplines. Uh, I would first want you to be examining your own heart with what I bring to you, but I would want you to see how practical this is as you care for other people around you. If if it's your kids, uh, I hope this is practical that you can see how to apply these truths even as you interact with your children. And, And thirdly, I pray this is practical enough that you can take this into your ministry, to your friends, to people in your small group. And again, I I say this because I'm working on a class for equipping hour, and it's called Counseling Over a Cup of Coffee. So much counseling and so much discipleship and so much care happens in the mundane things in life. I, I truly, I do more counseling in the mundane than I do with scheduled office hours. And I think your life's very much like that. And I would want you to be thinking that way about your life as well and how God could use you. 
I, I would want you, as you think of parallel tracks, there's a verse that I love, and it's Romans 15, 14, and I'll, I'll read it to you, and it says, I am convinced, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, competent to instruct one another. I pray for our church, I pray for you ladies, that you would recognize God does have a role right where you're at, for you to be participating as his instrument. So, uh, a little bit before I get started, I would like you to know where this came from. Uh, this lesson comes from, I would say the first time I intersected with it was truly in a situation of t- trying to shepherd my own heart. In the midst of a hardship, in the midst of a trial, uh, I was reading scripture and confronted with scripture, and I'll explain a little bit more about it as I go through my lesson, but it was at a time in the midst of a trial where I was looking for my peace in my circumstances of things changing, and uh, it, it was it was good for me to go then go study scripture. The second thing that came about, there was a few years ago, we were, Jamie and I and Sarah Demarest were sitting talking about a counseling situation and how people change. And uh, the outflow of my own having to shepherd my heart became a conversation that we had and, and somebody said, will you teach this at Wellsprings? Uh, sure. Uh, so then I had to put it in paper. So here I am. Hopefully what's on paper makes sense to you. Uh, but it truly has impacted my own ministry and my own heart. And I hope what I say today does that for you as well. We're going to be spending the bulk of our time in Galatians chapter 5. But I think it is best if we take a running start at the entire book of Galatians so you could kind of see what was going on. And you don't need to turn there yet, but because I'm going to go really, really fast and tell you what happens in the first five chapters, the first four full chapters before we get to chapter five. Uh, Because I think this is still practical today. It was practical when he wrote it to the churches in a region called Galatia. And it's still practical in living here in Arizona. Uh, Paul spends his the first five verses and he quickly identifies himself. He identifies his authority. And it's, it's a, an unusually very brief greeting that Paul gives. In verse 6, he jumps right into it. And to me as a reader, it, it tells me the sense of urgency. In six verses into a book, I mean, he is head-on talking about sin. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7. He goes, I am astonished that you so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What the Galatians had heard from Paul, and this would have been Paul's second missionary journey, what they would have heard, they would have heard a message that was salvation by Christ alone. It was salvation by faith alone, by grace alone, God's word alone, and glory to God alone. Our our lives are to be glory to God alone. And that's the message they heard. 
But what happened was, after Paul left, false teachers came in, and it was Christ plus works. And the particular work, although it's a little bit different than today, back then the work was Christ, and then you also need to be circumcised. Well, today, what that looks like in our culture, how we add things to Christ, it could be Christ plus I invited him into my heart. Um, but I, becoming a believer in the '80s, I heard that so often. Well, I, you know, that salvation was in this me inviting Jesus into my heart. Uh, it could also be, uh, you know, the, I want one more thing about inviting into my heart. But then there was no evidence of changed life. There was no evidence of sanctification. But people felt comfortable thinking that they were saved with no change. Uh, I think the misinterpretation of Romans 10.9, it says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's one verse. And and there's many that says, well, they have a profession of faith. I, I know you have had these conversations with people when and it turns to, well, they say they're a Christian. There has to be something in the life that evidences the work of the Holy Spirit. But we live in a culture that, hey, face it, George Barna says 87% of people in the United States profess to be believers. Uh, how did that happen? It, it's by not understanding not expecting and not not knowing what the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life will be, what it's to look like. So what we have in this culture is Jesus, plus I go to church on Sunday, and there's nothing else. But for, for us, as we evaluate our own life, uh, God's Word has given us enough to know what a saved person should look like, will look like. And I I say this, I realize many of you here are moms. Uh, I think this is important as you consider maybe the profession of faith as your kids say, I think I'm a Christian. So I want you to think of this again as parallel. I want you to evaluate your own heart, your own life. I want you to evaluate when the opportunity comes, other people around you. And if anybody has questions as I'm going, feel free to raise your hand. If I lower my voice and you can't hear in the back row, please just go like this and I'll know to speak louder. Uh, so it's just too often in, in Christianism in this country, uh, the Holy Spirit's not even considered. The work of the Holy Spirit's not even considered. But getting through the first four chapters, what you'll see is the book of Galatians is a clear presentation that a sinner is saved by grace through faith, and it's a clear understanding that the work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the Christian life can be observed, it can be understood, and there, it's an evidence that there has been a change. I hope because of today you'll have a deeper 
understanding and be better equipped to even examine yourself. Being we're talking about sanctification, let me give a, a brief explanation of sanctification and what I mean by it so we're all on the same page. Uh, and I sure, Chris, do you guys use the blue chart here? Okay. And have they seen it this year? Okay. When we are born, we are in a unmixed condition. We are totally flesh. There comes a day of salvation where now it's this mixed condition. There's this flesh and there is this Holy Spirit that is in us. And that day that we come to saving faith in Jesus Christ is the beginning of sanctification. And sanctification is the process to the day we die. So we're talking about from the time we are saved and the time that we die and we're glorified and we get to go be with Jesus, we're talking about what does my life look like between the lines. So with, with that, open your Bibles. Let's go to Galatians 5. And we're going to start with really the, the bad news of Galatians 5. And, and it's going to start in, in verse 16. And I will read Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You're not, you're not under works. You're under God's grace working in you. You're under, that the Holy Spirit is working in you. And, and this, to understand what's contrary, Paul is going to be teaching here by comparing and contrasting. He's taking two things that are very real and showing us a picture of how different they are. I, th I think it's interesting as I, I'm going to go next to verse 19 where it explains the, the deeds of the flesh. Uh, we produce those on our own and they don't really need any definition because you understand it. But the fruit of the Spirit needs definition. It, it's produced by God in us. And so it, I find it interesting that I don't need to define my sin because it's so in front of me but I do need help understanding what God tells me the Holy Spirit is doing inside of me I don't know if that interest you find that amazing that sin would be so natural and the fruit of the Spirit is so supernatural I'm odd that God would be that awesome so uh Verse 19 goes on to say, the act of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, that, that would be pertaining to the actions. Impurity, that would be something that is internally in us that would make us one impure, that we would need, want to purge that there would be purity. Debauchery uh, would, be, would be just bad, immoral. It would normally would involve sex. It would involve drunkenness. Uh, 
That would not just be alcohol, but in our culture, it would also be uh, drugs, idolatry. That would be anything for, for even a moment that we put before God, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, those that who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That, that truly sounds like I've just described a non-believer, doesn't it? Does that sound like a non-believer? If you looked at those characteristics, you'd kind of think, unsaved person, what's really interesting is all those deeds of the flesh in those two verses, they are in three categories. They fit into three categories. And and what's even more amazing, every sin I can commit fall into three categories. And, And I'm not that smart of a guy. I praise God that he put this. He put the bad news in two verses, and he put the good news in two verses. That we, we can know. You, you don't need to read the entire Bible to figure this one out. God put it in four verses that we would know what salvation looks like for the believer. I, I, I praise God that we just don't need to go figure out 66 books of the Bible to realize how we sin. He gave it to us in two verses. And, here, and here's, here's what it is. Here's what the three categories it's the deeds of the, this, uh, a sexual nature, the sexual impurity, uh, immorality. This could even be how, how some, a person dresses, that it's not modest, it, debauchery, it's promiscuity. This is the first category. Second is false religion. It, it's idolatry. It is anything that we could put in, in front of God or be more important than God. Witchcraft, it goes without saying. It, it's a false religion. And, you know, I wonder if you're like me. Do you ever read the Old Testament and you hear about them melting the gold and they make a calf and they're worshiping it? And do you just think, how stupid is that? I, I, that always blows me away. That how can anybody be so stupid? Uh, but our idols are so much more subtle. It, it, it's Here's a biblical understanding of idolatry. It extends beyond worship of image of false gods. It is a matter of the heart. It's associated with pride, self-centeredness, greed, gluttony, and a love for possessions or people more than God. Uh, John Calvin said, we are all idol factories we all have the capability of making idols. We could, I make an idol when I think I am right and I don't show preference to, to another person. Uh, to be greedy. Idolatry is so broad, but I know it's easy for me just to, as I'm reading the Old Testament think, boy, isn't that stupid? I, I need to look at my own life and say, What's the, what has captured my thought at the moment? That could be an idol. In the third category of the deeds of the flesh, they're in human relationships. So as you read those two verses, it's either going to be tied to sex, false religion, 
or our human relationships. It's hatred, it's discord, it's jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, uh, envy, drunkenness. I, I would put drunkenness right up with idolatry, orgies, I would put that with sexual and the like. Every sin we have the capability to commit, God put it in two verses. I find that interesting that that throughout scripture he talks about this but then to the Galatian church Paul addresses everything that you and I need to be watching our heart for in two verses uh, look again though at, at verses 19 and 20 what Paul is saying is prior to conversion what was in your heart were all these things In verse 21, Paul gives a a strong warning. And he says, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I I think I need to to really explain something here. What this does not mean is we are going to be perfect here on earth. We will sin because we're sinners. Uh, In this sanctification process, hopefully... Our sin is less and less as we grow closer to the Lord. But what this is talking about, if your life is characterized like this, uh, that is in absolute opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. That there, I am sure there's going to be a time where there's going to be a dissension or there's going to be you know, maybe even a little bit of rage or some anger uh, we're not talking about that. Praise God, we can confess our sin, and God is, because we know from 1 John 1, 9, that God's faithful, he's just, he forgives, and he cleanses, he purifies us, he sanctifies us. Uh, so I don't want you thinking, wow, if somebody does any of those, they can't be a believer. No, but if your life is characterized by this behavior, it's, it's an absolute conflict to Scripture. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, To the one person out there shaking their head up and down, thank you. But uh, I think we really need to take a full stop and think about the deeds of the flesh, though. If you look at your life, and and your life looks like the deeds of the flesh, I, I want you to consider one verse. And it's Mark chapter 7, verse 20 and 23. You don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you because I'm positive you're, everyone here will be familiar with it. Maybe make a note of it. Mark 7, 20-23. I'm going to read it to you. Jesus went on. So this is Jesus speaking. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a men's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly all these evil come from inside that make a person unclean Uh, here's the thing I have sat too many times with people who are justifying their sin by saying it was my spouse that I'm not like this but my spouse did this and or it was my children, or it was my boss, it was my employer. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
it, it comes out because it's what's in there. When, when that type of the deeds of the flesh comes out, even as us sitting in here today, it's because what's in here. If I had a cup of coffee and I started hitting the cup of coffee, what would come out of the coffee cup? This is audience participation. Uh-huh. Coffee. Because that's what's in there. If there was nothing but love, grace, and kindness in my heart, when my cup gets bumped by the things in life, things not going as I hoped they would or expected they would or anticipated they would, what comes out of my heart, is it graciousness? Or is it deeds of the flesh? It's because it's what's in my heart. So in our sanctification process, as we grow closer, as we care for our own hearts, the way God has designed it is we're putting more grace, more kindness, more love for others in our heart that, that when our cup gets bumped, that's what comes out. I, I, I'm thinking of a, a friend of mine who, for years, his health has been just terrible. And he is always so joyful. In the midst of a trial coming his way, nothing comes out of his heart but just pure joy to even be alive. And I, I look at this friend of mine and I say, I want to be like that. When, when life comes at you, how do I respond? How do you respond? Is it a fruit of the Spirit or is it a deed of the flesh? Uh, you know, I, I praise God. Jesus is very clear. When you see a deed of the flesh in your life, it, it's not because of your environment. It's what's coming out of your heart. And again, I'm going to tell you again, I I probably will say this many times today. uh, Here's the good news. As you're sitting there, and if maybe you're convicted, maybe it was even this morning that that there was some anger. Here's the good news. It's 1 John 1, 9. When we confess our sin, God is faithful. Four things God promises. When, When we confess our sin, God promises he'll be faithful, he'll be just, he'll be forgiving. And he'll be cleansing. He'll be purifying. He will. He promises to change us. So, the, the good news about this message is not just look at how you might sin, but my desire is that you would understand what the fruit of the spirit would really look like in your life. Uh, you know, here, here's a great question to ask yourself: Am I living by the spirit? And if you say yes, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The Spirit of God is in us and is in conflict with the flesh. And the flesh is in conflict with the Spirit. Do not be surprised that you have this conflict going on. God designed it that way. And the only reason I can understand why God designed it that way, I would never depend on him. If, if there wasn't this battle, if, I could, if we could just do this on ourselves, you'd be just like me and you'd say, God, just sit over here, I'll take care of this. But you and I are in absolute dependence for our sanctification on God. And, and let me encourage you with this too. God would not ask us to live a certain way. God would not give an imperative for us to live a certain way if he did not give us the ability to live that way. Does that make sense? He would not say, 
live a life being loving to others if he didn't give us the ability to do it? Praise God that he has given us his Holy Spirit that we can live like that. So, we've talked enough about the deeds of the flesh. And with our eyes wide open, let's compare the the fruit of the Spirit. I I said earlier that, uh, you know, I really didn't need to give a whole lot of definition to the deeds of the flesh. We just, instinctively, we know what it is. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's interesting. This comes from God, and in our world... Words have meaning, and I think sometimes Christians don't really understand what the fruit of the Spirit is. And I'll give you a little biography where this this message first came from. I was in the midst of a, of a trial that seemed to be going on, for at least from my perspective at the time. You know how this is when you kind of feel like you're in the midst of the trial. It seems like, oh Lord, how long? Whatever, whatever the time length was, I don't recall. But I was, I was reading my Bible, and uh, I came to a verse that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, and it was about peace. And it was John 14, 27. And it says, My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I read the verse, and I, and I took a full stop, and I'm looking at that, and I said to myself, I don't feel any peace. I, in the midst of my trial, I, I mean, you know, you ever have it where just you're having a day where you can't see around the day you're having? So here I am in the midst of this trial, and God is telling me in his word that he has left me his peace, and I absolutely had no peace. And that set me on the journey to figure out and I say this embarrassingly, I, I was supposed to be a mature Christian. I would think I would already know all this stuff. Uh, but it sent me on a study to go figure out about what biblical peace is. Which led me on a journey to what is the biblical understanding of the fruit of the Spirit working in a Christian. And you are going to get, uh, now like kind of like drinking out of a fire hose, uh, you are going to get the journey that the Lord took me on in the midst of me wanting peace in the midst of circumstances and not in the midst of the Lord. So here we go. A little true confession of where this came from. Uh, Again, uh, the deeds of the flesh, we do those on our own merit. And the fruit of the Spirit is an act of God. The fruit of the Spirit is God's gift to each one of us. And and the fruit of the Spirit will only be produced by a Christian in a healthy union with God. Uh, There is no other way to produce what God intends for us by His Holy Spirit than through Him, by Him. Uh, Paul's describing nine areas of a believer's life in the fruit of the Spirit that we're going to look at. And yet it's interesting. I, I love little factoids. I, I'm a statistic person, and, and here's the first one you're going to get. Fifty-four times in the New Testament, you will find the word fruit. 
and either by direct correlation to the fruit of the Spirit or an analogy of fruit of the Spirit, God's Word addresses fruit. Fruit, manifestation of fruit, obviously is something important to God. 54 times that he, he brings it to us. And let me just, for you understand when I say by analogy, let me give you a verse because we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Here, here's an analogy, and it's, you don't need to turn there because I know you're familiar with it. But just listen how many times the word fruit gets used in, in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean, but of the word I, because of the word I have spoken to you, remain in me, I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. I, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, he can do nothing. Six times, and by analogy, he's talking about, Jesus is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. God will continue to prune us in this sanctification process that we become more like him. But, but it's all about the fruit that he is producing in us. Uh, I think so often I think Christians take the fruit of the Spirit at face value and they really don't consider what each word, each of these nine words really means. I, I, let me explain when, when I say that. I, I think the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit is often has one meaning to Christians, and it truly has another meaning to a secular world, uh, love. The first, first word that God uses in, in talking about the fruit of the Spirit is love. I think if we went down to the mall and we did an exit poll and we asked, you know, what is love? What you're going to hear is emotion. Uh, you're going to hear about feeling. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches about love. Biblical love is a command. Uh, it's an action. Biblical love only comes from God. And, and I'll, I'm going to go through a, just a few verses. One I know you're familiar with, 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's, again, it's love is an action. Love is patient, kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. Not self-seeking, not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. It does not delight in evil, rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There's nothing about emotion or feeling here. It is an action of the way you and I are to live. It's interesting. God's example of love, in my favorite verse to explain, Express that is Romans 5 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were sinners. Christ died for us. So you have the picture of what God's love looks like. Jesus' example is found in, in John 15 13. Jesus says, Greater has no one 
than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So what you see in the example of love of God from God and love from Jesus Christ, it's a dying to self. Uh, and then in 1 John 3.16, we understand what love is. John is telling us what love should look like in, in the Christian's life. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay our life down for our brothers. Is that you? Do, do you love others? Are you self-giving of yourself? Uh, that's the picture. Are, are you willing to prefer others? It has nothing to do with a feeling or, or an emotion. It, it's love is doing. Uh, here's a few facts. Like, I love facts. I'm so sorry. Uh, a few facts when, when it speaks about God's love in Scripture. Almost always, the context is what was accomplished on the cross. We, we, live, in a, we live in a society that it just wants to use the mantra that God is love. Yeah, but biblical love, the context is almost every time love is ex- explained as his son dying on a cross. When scripture talks about a believer's love, it is almost always a dying to self for others. It, it's not emotion. Uh, in the fruit of the spirit, that, that word love is in the Greek is agape. And that is the same word that is used for God's love. It, and it was a love that he would send his son so I don't want you to get it confused in the fruit of the Spirit where it says love. And I, I think well-meaning Christians can think of other things other than a dying to self. It could be the brotherly love, love we have for other believers, sorge love, uh, or even love that, of intimacy with, with your spouse. Uh, that is not what love is. Love in this context is the same word used to describe God and it's a dying to self. It's giving yourself. Yeah, what, I found this really pretty amazing too that in the New Testament teaching only two times Paul talks about a believer's love for God. Every time Paul talks about love it's a dying to self. It's in this relationship, how we do life with one another. It's not this love. I just find it interesting that only two times it was it's that important that we would understand in the fruit of the Spirit that it's our relationships with one another. Uh, I, I have sat in, in situations, in counseling settings, where the people can be just absolutely up here in sin, and they will inevitably say, but I love God. Well, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. I, what has happened, just like for the Galatian church, misunderstood Christ alone, it, it's with us too. There needs to be not just a profession of faith, but the sanctification 
the, the evidence of God's fruit in us has to be seen. And it's only seen by how we live. Think about it this way. How you love others is an act of worship. When you die to self for others, you're worshiping God. That's what he has called you to do. Uh, the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. And, and joy is a, a deep sense of well-being that you would know that your relationship with the Lord is good. Seventy times in the New Testament, you'll find the word joy, and almost every time it's in the context of a joy based on your relationship with God. But so often in the world, they're looking for joy in circumstances, looking for joy in a new job, in, in maybe if you're single, having a spouse, if you're married, having the perfect spouse. Joy, biblical joy, only deals with a right relationship with the Lord. And guys, I, I know you're not different than me. There, there are times that I desire joy in what happens here on earth. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. If everything's going my way and I'm happy, maybe that's a praise God, but that's not biblical joy. Biblical joy is only because I am well aware of my relationship. I'll put it to you this way. I am well aware of the mercy I received and the wrath I deserved that I'm not going to get. That's my joy. And that's what your joy should be. This, this is so different. If you ask the average person on the street about joy, they're going to talk about circumstances. That's all they know to talk about. But for the Christian, it's the joy in this. On the hardest day of our life, we could be joyful because we know our relationship with God is good. The third one, uh, this really kind of blows me away, and this is what led me into a path of, of even searching this for my shepherding my own heart. And the third fruit is peace. Peace refers to tranquility of mind that comes from a saving relationship with, with Jesus. And you, know, you talk about a different meaning. If you went out on the street and did an exit poll down at the Starbucks and said, what's peace? You're going to hear all our troops coming home. You're, you're probably going to hear something in our culture about Ferguson. You, you're going to hear the, what the world thinks of peace. And, and that is no peace at all. Peace has been, I, growing up, being a little bit older than Chris, growing up in the 60s, I mean, it was peace. You know, it was the Vietnam War was going on, and the only thing that you would, the, the United States mantra was peace, but it wasn't biblical peace. It, it was for something other than the peace that God gives. It, it was peace in circumstances, and I'm going to take you back to John 14:27. Uh, John 14.27 is right before he is on, Jesus is on the road to Calvary. Look at it this way. This is Jesus' last will and testament. And he says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Think of it this way. Your, your mom and dad have a will and it says, I'm leaving my child $100 upon my death. If they're still alive, that's not your hundred bucks. 
when they die, that is now your hundred dollars. It's given to you. Jesus had to die that we could have peace. He promises, I give, he left it. I, I, I love considering this is his last will and testament to believers. If you go look at the context, and you can go test me on this, almost every time you see the word peace in scripture, look at the near context. Look within two to three verses either way, you will be told that peace comes from God, peace comes from Jesus, peace comes from the Holy Spirit. But sometimes in the midst of our flesh, we look for peace. In the midst of, of my trial, I was looking for peace in just things changing. That's never what God intended. That's not the type of peace. If that were the type of peace, I would never depend on the Lord. I'd only be looking to fix my circumstances. That's not what God intended for us. So, if you're anything like me, I, I hope you would just understand I need to look for my peace in a risen Savior because that's where he's left it for us, in a risen Savior. Does that make sense? I hope so. Uh, MacArthur's really, really helpful on, the, uh, on his, something he writes about peace. He... Uh, he puts it this way. Like joy, it's not dependent on circumstances in life or in the world. Uh, he, MacArthur states, it is a verb form. Peace has to do with a binding together as reflected in a modern expression, having it all together. It is everything is in place as it ought to be. It is about our redeemed position with Christ. Uh, so as you're looking for peace, it's in your redeemed position with our Lord Jesus. The fourth fruit, uh, this is the hardest one for me to talk about because this is the one I have to continually pray over, and it's patience. Uh, patience is reflected by not being easily offended. It is the ability to put up with others when it's not easy to do so. Think about it. God showed his patience for us. God was long-suffering with us. As in our rebellion, he was patient with us. Paul's point is clear here. If God has been long-suffering with us, should we not display the same grace with others? You know, I... True confessions. I am an efficiency expert. I could figure out a better way to do just about, in my own estimation, to do anything. Uh, you know, when I click my mouse on my computer, I expect action, like right now. Uh, when the little spinny wheel that looks like a rainbow starts, that does not do my heart good. I, I am not, I'm not a patient person. Uh, I, I'll prove it to you. Some of you have heard this story. Ann and I will be married 39 years in March. When we dated, what she really liked about me is I was very punctual. I mean, come at 9, I'm there at 10 till. Be there at 10, I'm at least there by 10 till. I'm very punctual. After we got married, 
she realized it's not that I was punctual, I'm impatient. It's like, chop, chop, let's go. So it, it looks like, wow, this is a pretty remarkable trait this guy has. Well, after she married me, she realized, I'm not patient. And I, God is still growing me in this. And, and let me, if you're like me, and patience is sometimes a struggle, let, let me give you some things that I find helpful for myself. I pray for patience. When I see that I'm not patient, I confess it as sin. When I'm impatient with the line at the post office in the grocery store, if, if I if I am sensing it in my heart, it can, it can, I feel it. It's like it's coming up out of my heart. It's heading to my esophagus. It's uh, and you may not see that in me because of God continuing to work on me that you would not realize I'm dying on the inside. Uh, I try to put myself in the situations where I have to be patient. I, I look for the worst line at Costco just because it's good for me to realize I can be patient. And here's the thing. When you see yourself being patient, praise God for it. I mean, I have to stop and give thanks to God because it is only him that I am being patient because I am not a patient person. So when you see God in any of these fruit of the Spirit, when you see God working in you, take time to thank him for that. Uh, it is praiseworthy. The fifth fruit is kindness. And kindness relates to a tender concern for others. It's benevolence in action. Uh, it's, it's what God demonstrated towards us. I'm not sure if you've seen the bumper sticker. I haven't seen it really recently, but there used to be a bumper sticker that used to say, practice random acts of kindness. Uh, that may make the world a better place, but that's not biblical kindness. Uh, kindness, like patience, is a characteristic of God, and it will be reproduced by the Spirit of, in God's people. Uh, it's interesting. Kindness is just really kind of a, a baffling word, but and you can test me on this too. Go to your concordance. Look up every time in the New Testament that you see the word kindness. If you look for the context, the near context, almost always is repentance. It's the picture of Romans 2.4. Or do not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards re repentance. A picture of kindness it, the context is always repentance. You are kind to others as God's instrument, making it easier for them to be repenters too. You repent of your sin when people deal kindly with you. Imagine this. God uses us as instruments of his kindness here on earth. Kindness in, in the fruit of the Spirit is about repentance. And, and I'm absolutely blown away why a holy God would choose to use instruments like us to be an instrument of what he uses 
to bring about repentance. I don't, that blows me away. God who does not need us in his good pleasure uses us. And and I, I think it is so important that we understand in depth what the fruit of the Spirit truly looks like in, in the Christian because the words have very different meanings in, in the world. I'll say something else because we're talking about repentance and there's two things that Jesus asked in Mark 1.15. It's repent and believe. I, th- I think there's truly, this is a heresy alert for the, the tape. Uh, I truly believe this. I think there's only two reasons why people don't change. I think people don't change because they don't want to or because they don't know what change is or what it would look like. I, I think it is possible to be a Christian and not understand fully what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. Because God is producing, there is a change, but I think to better understand God and how he uses us, I do believe you can even change more because you have today a better understanding of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And I will move on to the next one, goodness. And I hope that makes sense that that there's only two reasons why you, you wouldn't exhibit, why a Christian wouldn't exhibit fruit in a way that brings glory to God. They really don't want to. Then you have to, goes back to questioning the salvation, or they just don't know what change is. Uh, the context where we were sitting with Jamie and Sarah, it, it was giving the benefit that maybe this person doesn't understand what change is. And, and those are the type of conversations you shepherd your own heart, you, you shepherd those around you, uh, of, of helping somebody see what, what does it mean to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? I, I'm sure, and I, I'm kind of digressing back, but I, I'm sure you've been like me where you've been in conversations where you, you, the question is, is, is so-and-so a believer? And, and you default to, well, they say they are, which is kind of like code for, I don't see any fruit. And, and now you will have an understanding of what this fruit looks like. So let's do talk about the sixth fruit, and that is goodness. It is both as uprightness of soul and action, reaching out to others to do good, even when it's not deserved. Uh, goodness is characterized, it's characteristic that it is produced in a believer by the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness is not natural, it's not a personality trait. But the word goodness, it's only found four times in the New Testament by Paul. But goodness in a secular setting is, is something completely different. Uh, you'll hear, well, he, he, just he did it out of the goodness of his heart. It comes close to the meaning, but it's dealing with characteristic produced in believers by the Holy Spirit. Our goodness is a form of worship to God. When, when we do good, it is a form of worship. Uh, 
it's not doing good deeds that we get to find our way and deal with God and bargain with God to earn our way to heaven. But our goodness comes out of worship to God, of God. Here's a, a biblical example of, of goodness, and it's uh, Matthew, and I'll read it, you'll, you'll know the verse, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, and, and it's about Joseph marrying Mary. And uh, when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, you'll know, he, you'll remember from scripture that uh, his first thought was is not to disgrace her, but to privately divorce her. Uh, it was in his goodness that he thought so highly. I, I'm sure, imagine it, he must have felt sinned against. He, he knows it wasn't me. And, and in his goodness, he did not want to embarrass. He wanted to prefer Mary. And, and that's the picture of goodness that uh, Scripture gives a, a very clear picture of, of what that looks like when you consider Joseph's goodness and caring for, for somebody else in the midst of even thinking that he was probably sinned against. Um, the seventh fruit is, is faithfulness. It's a, it pertains to loyalty and trustworthiness. Our God and our Savior, they, they are faithful. Uh, when we are faithful, we're emulating the God that saved us. And I'm going to give you a couple scriptures just to kind of give you a picture of God's faithfulness, Jesus' faithfulness. Uh, God's faithfulness is shown in Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Jesus, we see it described by Paul in Philippians 2, verses 7 through 9. Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. Jesus was faithful to, to his, his heavenly Father. For, for us, faithfulness is a command. When you read Revelation 2.10, do not be afraid. What you, what you are about to suffer, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful. It's a command. Be faithful, even to the point of death. I will give you the crown of life. Uh, Jesus, God, would not command us to be faithful if he did not give us the ability to be faithful. That's not the type of God he is. He has given you the fruit of the Spirit, dwelling in you by the Holy Spirit, that you can be faithful. The, the eighth fruit is gentleness. Gentleness is the temper of spirit, in which a believer ex accepts his dealings. Here it is. In, in the midst of things not going well, we know God is a sovereign God, but a believer can be gentle in just accepting, this is what the Lord has for me today. That, that is the picture of gentleness. 
um, you could humbly, with a gentle attitude, just submit to it, to being offended by when others sin against you. You can be free of desire of revenge, or retribution. Gen- gentleness is an evidence of God's grace in a believer. You know, before I grew up in religion, Chris and I went to Catholic school together. I'm just older. But I, I grew up with plenty of religion. And I remember I, I was 22 years old and somebody came to me and they said, are you a Christian? I thought I was. And I said, of course I am. And he goes, I thought so. He goes, you're so gentle. And I walked away patting myself on the back. I'm gentle. Somebody thought I was gentle. And uh, when I became a believer, I remember that conversation. It was about six years later. And I'm thinking back to that conversation. And I'm thinking, why did he think I was a Christian? What was it about me that was gentle? And I just, it's gentle is one of those words. Is how do you define it? Is that, does that mean Tom speaks really softly and, and just really just kind of, you know, Tom, you know, does. You know, what does it mean to be gentle? I, it's a weird word to try to describe to yourself. You know, if you're old enough to remember the Charmin commercials, they used to say toilet paper was gentle. Does that mean I'm like a piece of toilet paper? What, what does it mean to be gentle? I mean, think about what, what does it mean for you to be gentle when God calls you to, to live a life of the fruit of the Spirit and he's calling you to be gentle. What's he calling you to? It's a word that has... We, it's a word that I'm sure you use in your vocabulary on a regular basis. But when it comes to what biblical gentleness is, I don't think we can grasp the definition. And... Uh, I'm, the best place for me to go is is the Sermon on the Mount. It, it's in Matthew five five. It says, "Blessed is the gentle." Some versions will say, "Blessed is the meek." They'll inherit the kingdom of God. Here's what gentleness is. In the midst of whatever circumstance the Lord has for you today, you could sit back, take a deep breath, and say, "God, I know you're in control." God, I can trust you. That, that is to be gentle. When, when you can look at the dealings of life and just say, God, I, I'm yours. There, there's three New Testament uh, verses that kind of show an attitude of gentleness. I, I, I want to go to, you, you write them down. Uh, but Colossians 3.12 is, is submission to God's will. We're gentle when we just accept what the Lord has for us. It, it's teachableness. When, when somebody comes and brings correction, uh, it, it is being able to just say, God, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. What, what the person wants to talk to me about, God, I can just trust you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it's, a, it's gentleness in consideration of others. Almost every time when you see the word gentle in the New Testament, it's demonstrating, you read the context, it's demonstrating a stubborn trusting of God. There's nothing that is going to get me off track 
God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this. That is what biblical gentleness is. And, and again, it, it's a weird word that in our society, you can completely miss what God intends for his children to have an exhibit. And, and the last fruit is self-control. This refers to a person's ability to have mastery over their desires and their passions. And I know, again, in in the secular world, uh, when you you see your children have self-control, you want to see them be able to behave themselves, and you might say, now have self-control. But what this is, it's for us to have mastery. It's a picture of Romans 6. And if you're newer to the church, uh, Smith taught uh, a sermon series, gosh, probably five years ago. You can find it online, and it's on Romans 6. And we were, before being saved, we were slaves. We were ma- mastered by sin. And after salvation, we have a new master. It, it's God. It, it's his son, Jesus Christ. And to have self-control is our ability to have mastery over the desires of the flesh, over over the things that are the conflict that we're trying to talk about today between the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Biblical self-control is reference to restraining passions and appetites. Uh, I, I want to bring you... A few, three points of application, and uh, I, I I pray that this will benefit you as it continues to benefit me. When you see deeds of the flesh being revealed, if you are living in a manner, if you are behaving in a manner that you are exhibiting, that still the flesh that is in us is being exhibited. Uh, I, I would encourage you, don't blame shift. Uh, I, that would be an honest, that would be my first default. It was this that made me, you know what, I, I need to own it. Uh, when I exhibit deeds of the flesh, I, I need to seek forgiveness. I, I need to go to the offended party and say, if I spoke harshly, I need to say, will you please forgive me? Uh, if there is anything resembling a deed of the flesh coming out of me, I, I need to deal with it and with the person that I've exhibited it towards. Uh, the second point of application is if God exposes to you uh, a work of flesh in you, would you confess? And, and I'll say it again. It's First John 1, 9. Here's God's promise. Here, here is the good news of the gospel when we confess when we agree with God when we confess our sin to God God's faithful he's just he forgives he cleanses you Uh, and I want to say one more thing just about forgiveness for it's not confused being convicted that's the Holy Spirit's job when when you're convicted that you just sinned don't confuse that that is not forgiveness Forgiveness is your job. Conviction's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job's not conviction. You're not the fourth person of the Trinity. You are God's instrument. 
But when you are convicted by the Holy Spirit that, that a behavior is sinful, we confess. Uh, and, and we seek forgiveness. So it is not enough. And, I, and I'll kind of give you a picture because I've done this. Don't judge me, but I've done this. Where you realize you've just sinned and you're convicted and you, you stop and you don't go any further. Uh, and then you turn that conviction isn't confessing. I mean, it may have been enough to stop my behavior, but if I want God's faithfulness, his justice, his forgiveness, and his cleansing, I need to agree with God. I hope that makes sense. Because you might see yourself on a path and in the midst of sinning, and you say, I don't want to do that. Praise God you're convicted. There's the Holy Spirit working in you. But God's desire for us as believers is that we agree with him. Because if you go up a few verses before 1 John 1, 9, he's telling us if we call something that's dark light, we're calling God a liar. So that is why we agree with God. And I hope that makes sense to you. Yes? Give thanksgiving for that. Have sinned, and then you're convicted, and then you stop. That that action. Yeah, and I probably wasn't clear. I get told that all the time. Uh, no, let me. I'll take three steps back, and I'll take another run at it. There's times where you might be on a path, and you have not sinned, and you're convicted, and you say, "Okay, you need to stop and be thankful." That, that is God working in you that you would be aware. That, and that is you having self-control. That's you having mastery over desires and passions. But when you find yourself in sin and then you stop, that is when you agree with God. God, I agree with you. That is a sinful behavior. But I know for a lot of people I've sat with over years, they have been very comfortable with just Stopping and doing something else and never dealing with God. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Okay. Because if we don't acknowledge to God when we sin, we're missing a means of God's grace. He promises he'll be faithful. He promises that he will be just. He promises to forgive us and he promises to purify us, to change us, to, sanct- to, to help us grow in our sanctification. Uh, another thing that, that I will do from time to time uh, is there's times that I will go through the fruit of the Spirit. I will just open up my Bible to Galatians 5.22 and, and I will evaluate myself, love. And I'll, and I'll just say have I been unloving in any of my relationships and dealings with other people? Have I been unloving? Have I lacked joy? And, and I will use the, the fruit of the Spirit as a grid to examine myself, not just as a, a morbid looking at my sin, but to, for confession, to confess, maybe even go uh, clean up something I may have done to another person in, in my behavior. So 
I, I would encourage you, evaluate yourself by looking at the fruit of the Spirit and just, just asking, you know, have I acted less than loving? Have I not been joyful? Ha, have I not been at peace? Is there a circumstance in my life that, that I'm just kind of stirring up some problems instead of just trusting God? Have I not been patient? You know, how is my relationship with the people that I live with? Am I being patient? And just walk through uh, the fruit of the Spirit and just to evaluate yourself. And here's the thing. When you see growth, stop and give thanks to God. This is a process, and it is only right for us to be thankful in the midst of God. Sometimes it feels like a very slow pace for me. But I, I have to be thankful that God has not given up and that God is continuing to do what he's promised to change me. And, and here's a third application that uh, I would want you to consider. Uh, and it's, it's in your relationships with other people. Uh, now that you have a better biblical understanding of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, that you would use this as a, as a blessing as you talk to others and just identifying God's grace in other people or maybe even where you might want to point out a blind spot to them. But when you see somebody exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, it is only right that we speak about the evidence of God's grace. Hebrews 3.13 tells us, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called the day, that no one is caught by the deceitfulness of sin. The, the most kindest thing we can do with each other is when we see evidences of God's grace in each other, is that we let each other know that we see it. And we got a few minutes. If Any questions? Anything that you need help clarifying because I was not clear which I realize is completely possible and happens in a large percentage of the conversations I have so <clears throat> anything this is your chance to stump the elder yes Jamie Great point. Let, let, me, uh, let me point it out this way because it's another comparing contrast. The, the deeds of the flesh are plural and the fruit of the Spirit is singular. Uh, here's the thing. It's not like a smorgasbord. And these guys are too young to even know what a smorgasbord is. <laughs> well, they have Chinese buffets. So no, you, you do get the concept. You don't get to go have a little of this and a little of that. We are not little compartments in here. Where here's my love and here's my here's my patience and over here's my peace. Uh, we are one heart, and the fruit of the spirit is is manifested nine different ways, but it is clearly one fruit. You don't get to pick and choose. Uh, there there are some things that maybe somebody in in their not being a believer can look like they are very loving and dying to self, but if they don't exhibit 
and they don't have Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's filthy rags. It, this is not about our works. This is about the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And it is one fruit manifest in nine different ways. And, and I, I said this earlier, and I, and I want to say it again. And maybe this just only impresses me because I'm really not that smart of a person. I praise God that he put all this in four verses. That I could know everything that I need to know to be warned about the deceitfulness of sin and being so near each one of us in two verses and that he can put in two verses what his desire is by the fruit of the Spirit working in us. I truly, I, this may make sense to nobody, but try walking in this brain. I praise God he did it in four verses. I, I truly praise God that his word is that clear. His word, it is that understandable. You, you don't need to be a Greek scholar to realize the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Praise God. Or we would be hopeless. God, God in his wisdom gave it to us so clearly. Any other questions? I really, you, you, and it's okay to stump me. And I'm easy to be stumped, so. Or, you know, yes. tell you what I would do and praise God I get to do it regularly and I I would open up my Bible to Galatians 5 and I would ask them will you help me kind of walk through this and and sometimes I will use this term describe to me what your ministry is here Uh, And I would start in verse 19, and I would say, here's what the sinful nature is. Is your life characterized by sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy? I I think so often what we see manifested... I want to be sure I am clear... I think we look at the big sins, and that would be the sexual immorality, and the respectable sins of how we treat each other. And and I think a lot of sin that gets overlooked that you need, that you would probably be addressing, because it's pretty clear. If, If somebody is committing adultery and they say they love Jesus, that's a pretty easy one. But when their life is in the third category of how they cause factions and their fits of anger and the uh, 
in the dissensions they cause, the factions, uh, selfish ambition. I would ask somebody, do you think this looks like your life? Because, again, I, I think the sexual immorality and I think the witchcraft, needless to say, is really easy. Idolatry, some of that is kind of a respectable sin in Christian circles. You know, but that's not the way God sees it. And, and so I would do a comparing contrast of tell me, what does your what do you think your life looks like? And uh, I, I, I do believe... I, I do believe uh, God's mercy is new every morning. I, I do believe helping a believer see this by putting it in front of them, that I do believe a believer can get ensnared and they need us to come along and just ask a question. This looks like you. And that perhaps maybe that would be you being the instrument of repentance in their life. I, I have seen it where people, when confronted with with what God's word says, and they realize that's me, and then there's change. Or, or and, and I'll say something else: give time for a second response. Or if you're wise enough, like my wife, she'll tell me, Tom, I want you to have your second response first, uh, because the first time when you approach something, don't judge me. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes when you have something dropped on you, uh, our first response is to be defensive. And, and I would, if the person was defensive, I'd say, would you take time to just to consider this? And if you want to talk again, I'd be willing to talk again. Or if you're my wife, you would just say, Tom, you need to have your second response first. Say, okay, honey. And believe me, it helps. It, it truly does. It really helps. If you need to, if you're here and you're married. Yeah, and you need to talk to your spouse. It really does. It really helps me a lot when Ann says, "Tom, I want you to have your second response." Please. Gosh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to confess that to you, but that's me. Anyway, is that helpful for you? And, and I, I wouldn't get into that discussion without my Bible open. I would not want to say. I would want, if you can get somebody to take those words and they go across their lips, that's convicting. If I'm just telling them something and it's going to their ears, I'm not the fourth person of the Trinity. I, will, I would rather see every time God's word convict somebody than my accusation convict them. So I would just open up God's word and this is what God's word says. This, this isn't me. This is what God says. And... Uh, if they don't receive it well, I just I'd say, would you consider this? And you know what? Uh, you're not the instrument of change. Uh, and if they change, great. And if they don't, uh, you were obedient. You pointed it to them. So often, the more respectable sins in church circles, we just overlook it. You know, I, this is. For some of you that have not been here a long time, you know, typically if you see a church that, that practices church discipline, it's always, in my past experience, it is always over sexual immorality. I think, I may be wrong, I think every time we have done church discipline at Grace Bible Church, it, it has been in 
thing, areas of the inner relationship of how we are. And there may be one, ex no, I'm, there's, no, I'm wrong. The first couple we had were truly in what, in some people, some Christians, they just overlook. But if you see me, if you see me being, acting with fits of rage, please come, come tell me. If I'm blind to it, if, if, if I'm blind to it, I need you as my sisters in Christ to come tell me. Tom, that was harsh how, you know, and I'm looking at Rachel because she's in my small group. Like, Rachel, come and just say, Tom, you were harsh when you said this in small group. I need you to do that, and you need me to do that to you. Uh, but I think too often in, in Christian circles, the more respectable sins, we just overlook it, and there's, there's nothing sanctifying about that. So, any other questions? Yes. Yes. Sure, sure. Uh, three categories. Uh, and it's, in verse 19, it starts with sexual, the sinful nature, obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. That is category one, has to do with sex. Next is idolatry and witchcraft. That's second category, that's false religion. Then it goes on to hatred, discord, and now all these are in this relationship that goes in a horizontal fashion. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Then I, I would say drunkenness would go back to idolatry. And I would say the orgies go back to dealing with sex. But all three of them, we produce on our own. And, and every way I sin, the way I, the way I see it, I, I have evaluated my life as, as God just kind of exposed this to me. Every way I sin, I can look at the fruit of the Spirit and point to one of those nine characteristics and say, this is what was lacking in my life when I sinned. It was either a lack of love, lack of joy, lack of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. And every time I sin, I, it, it could either be sexual nature, my, my relationship with the Lord by putting something before Him, or how I interact on this level. I really believe, and, I, and I'm open to saying this is just my thinking, and thus saith Tom, I, I believe every sin we possibly can commit fits into those three categories, and every sin we commit is a violation of one of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's Tom saying that, not Paul or the Lord. But I, I, I have truly, I have evaluated that in my own life, and I, I've just, I've kind of tried to hone it out to figure it out. And that's why I go back to, I praise God that he put it in four verses for somebody as slow as me could see this. Any other questions? You guys are too easy. Let me pray. And I guess you guys do small groups next. Sorry I stole so much of your small group time, guys. 
Lord Father, I, I praise you that the unity we have is only because your son. Father, I, I praise you that you have given us each other. Father, I, I praise you that you don't need us, but you chose to use us as your instruments here on earth. Father, I, I pray, Lord, for my friends here, that if they saw me in sin, that they would come and show me. Father, I, I pray for all of us when we are in sin that you would allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds. Father, you are such a good God. You are so long-suffering. Father, just the fact that you loved us when we were in utter rebellion blows me away. Father, thank you for salvation that only comes through the finished work of your Son. And that is why we're here today. And we pray all this in your Son's name.